Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 182. Uh, this is the second attempt at that intro because I the first one, which is never ideal. Uh, hello, Jonathan. How are you? I'm not too bad, actually. I'm all right. It's, uh, I had a nice little chest session today because uh, uh, gyms are closed. So I had to go into my personal gym. Wink, wink. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I was awkward. I was doing, you know, in 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 in, 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 in the bubble of people uh, I see. You know, it's just not uh, not so the government are going to listen to this, but you know, you know, it's not too bad. Did some some chest. So we doing what we can do in the circumstances because we are nothing's open now. What day is it? As of the was it the twentieth? Whatever it was. So we had, the dumbbells we had were they only go to because th- the way they are you could put more on but it'd be just really awkward. But thirty sevens stay quite light. So but we did, which is quite good because you don't the, the weight is there but you don't get obviously the issues on the joints of using you know really heavy weights for like six reps. But doing like twenty k dumbbells. But with someone on top pushing the dumbbells back down, so obviously you're creating more more resistance. But you're using obviously the lighter weight. So you're doing ten on on your own, and then you do ten with them pushing back anyway, and then you do a few little, I would say half reps, but not perfect reps to finish off. Do like between probably twenty and thirty reps, but it was, it was good. It's just like proper bro training, like oh, yeah. proper bro training. Oh yeah, hundred percent pro, hundred percent pro training. I I personally like if you're a client, um, I would be not recommending you to train that way. No, um, for many reasons. One of the, the initial thing that normally says, I think, actually, how do you standardize any of that? Like, if you've got no. some dude. You can't. Put, like, yeah, you can't. Add in resistance to your... No. Like, how hard does he push? And how do you standardise how hard he pushes? And You don't. No. As this... this is only in uh, lockdown. Like, we I... don't... This is not... We don't do that at any other point. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it aligns... It aligns it probably, like, sorry, mate. It's, I was just going to say, it probably aligns with some of the stuff that we talked about uh, two, three weeks ago. I don't know. I can't remember how long now around some sessions you just do even though you know it's not particularly kind of evidence-based or it might not even be the most optimal of sessions you do because they're bloody enjoyable because you just yeah. like doing it funny enough i was listening to my one of my favorite people i listen to probably one of the only me two people i listen to me maybe we're class you with three yeah <laughs> two out of the no nonsense nutrition circle my guess would tell well i say th- I, three my guess would tell lyle and Broderick. Well, that was a cunt. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Straight there. Um, anyway. Broderick, because <laughs> he's, I think he's more, I don't want to say more practical, but he, sit, he, he makes complicated things easy. And he breaks things down easier. Yeah. Broderick. 
Like say, got, Mike, Mike does as well, though, doesn't he? Yeah, but I think sometimes he talks about MRV and all this. So it's like, I mean, for most people, it's just, yeah, of course it's relevant, but most people are not, they don't take interest in that. But I suppose that the people he's aiming at will be. Anyway, he was actually talking to, I don't know who he was, but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a pro, not a top, top pro, but you know, a pro nonetheless, pro bodybuilder. And he was talking about, <clears throat> he was asking broader questions about all sorts of stuff, training, what's the best nutrition protocol, what's the best training. And he said, you know, that there's clearly better ways to train than others, clearly. But he said, there's also the thing of someone could give a 100% perfect plan, periodized plan, everything's as it should be to gain the maximum amount of muscle. But if that person isn't fully aligned with it or they don't enjoy it, then by nature they wouldn't put as much effort in. So there is a point where many types of training work. As long as the basics are hit, like you've got to increase volume over time, you've got to increase intensity over time, and intensity I mean weight. You know, if you do the end of those things, there's multiple ways to train. Don't be a bell end and do stupid shit. But there is a, as you've got to enjoy the training first. So he said sometimes what is non optimal is actually works for that person because they love it, because they love to train like that. So you mm-hmm. found about, you know, some people go to failure all the time. Like John Peters goes to failure all the time. And there's other people like, like Mike Israel does not go to failure until a, a week before he deloads. And there's obviously obviously got pros, which you can't really. It's hard to distinguish or work with the pro because, generally speaking, their their genetics allow them to train non-optimally and still grow like they are training optimally. So. <clears throat> But as long as you adhere to certain things, then you can do you could do stupid sets now and again, just because you think, oh yeah, I like let's just do twenty sets of squats and just crumble. Not mean crumble under the bar because it's very dangerous in it, but and just crumble your legs. Like okay, yeah, that's fun, but just understand that you can't train like Tom Platt's train quads every week because you would you'd break your legs. <laughs> mm. I've done a Tom Platt's not 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 as stupid because he was ever seen in ever seen his training. Uh, Tom can you is. can you remember Ed going on one of his um yeah. like uh, what do you call him like roadshow sessions where he travels around the country and just takes you through a vicious mm. dirty leg session. Yeah, but we did the other day. I've done a modified version of his like his his leg extensions are ludicrous, and I mean ludicrous isn't stupid. Did, Pointless, not yeah. them, not do it. Waste of time. I just want to um, interject slightly because if anyone is unsure what Johnny is kind of, or the type of thing Johnny's alluding to, go to Ed's, uh, what's it? I can't remember what his Instagram is now, but go to Ed's, uh, Ed Whitaker, his Instagram page, and he's got somewhere on there a, a video of him doing a one set of leg extensions that he said once he did, he couldn't walk for a week. Yeah, which is. With Tom Platt. Yeah. Like, we not, like, Platt's trained his legs once a fortnight. Because he said, if I could walk out to the gym and drive, I wasn't training hard enough. So that that you know, I understand. I suppose you need that's a bit extreme, but you need a very tough mentality to to go where you needed to go. 
to compete at the level he was competing at. You know, was he competing at Mr. Olympia? Well, he was at the top of the tree-ish, you know, top 1% in bodybuilding at the time. But, like, his legacy training was his ludicrous. Oh, anyway, we did his version of he would go, right, you do five reps. And then, they're going to be hard, but he'd go, you break it down. So you go, like, whatever, what do we do? I think we did... Eight, say, eight, I think it was an 80k squat but it ended up being right what, what do you normally do because an 80k squat generally is part of a warm up and you end up doing like 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 again I wouldn't say this is optimal training but it was one of those like oh let's just do this just because anyway so it's like 35 reps at 80k which is a, it's a lightweight but there's a lot of reps and then do 100k you end up doing 25 reps and you do an 120 and for like 15 but what i normally i would do 120 maybe for nine or ten and i'd feel like that's enough like i'm a couple of failures is enough but you think and if you if you're breaking up don't be wrong you are you're taking a couple of breaths in between you rest in for maybe two seconds you are almost well you are rest pausing within you but it's surprising where you can go mentally when someone's forced enough, you're not getting help. When someone's in your face telling you, you can do five more. And so you've gone from like 10 reps, you know, to like 17, which is quite entertaining. Mm-hmm. Then the leg extension, it would be like, you've got to touch, obviously my hand is at the top, just the top of the contract. You've got to touch it for at least 15 reps. And then you, you move it down a little bit. And if you can't do it then, then it's the end of the set because... You can't do a proper movement on an extension. It gets a bit pointless, doesn't it? So that's how it was. That was how it was modified. And then the same thing with hamstrings. Then yeah. it was quick session because we only had forty minutes. So that was one of the reasons why it was done as well. That's, that sounds great. But it yeah. was good fun. It sounds great, mate. If I'm honest. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think in terms of that idea or that concept that Broderick is talking around of having a less an optimal plan but something that really promotes adherence i think that is fundamental almost um to a point or say fundamental i guess <clears throat> excuse me it's to the point where i think where that idea of adherence and promoted adherence and therefore like the enjoyment side of it is is probably almost as important uh, important as having something that is quote-unquote optimal um and, and the reason i say quote-unquote optimal is because i think that optimality is so wide uh widely varied that there are so many different ways that could be seen as optimal that there should probably be a way that's optimal for most people if not everyone but that that they can like a variant of that which would suit suit them to therefore have something that promotes their adherence to it that's what i kind of think and also i think it's something that i've talked about before in the podcast where i think that there is an element of what is optimal is almost less important because the thing that's going to get you the most results is just that consistency over time so that people that worry about having the best training plan plan and stuff i think actually you just need to find something that you're just going to train consistently because i think actually that's what gets the results anyway i think for most people this kind of because especially like training studies and hypertrophy studies especially they're all very short term like there aren't very any long-term studies really in hypertrophy in terms of what you know kind of what is the best approach to hypertrophy or, or whatever um whether that be the training plan or types of training or whatever um 
And in that respect, I kind of think like, we don't really know whether even though one type of training might be better in the short term, we don't know if they just even out over time. As in like, you might get better results in 12 weeks with X training versus Y training. But if you carried on doing both, would they actually end up in the same spot over two years, 10 years or whatever, a lifetime? I kind of think you probably will find that. And that I don't think that the differences you see between certain methods, types of training now would be as prominent over the longer term. And I think they'd probably actually just close the gap and you'd end up in the same way. And I think that the likelihood is that just consistently training over time, you'd get in very similar places. Therefore, it kind of makes sense if like, and obviously I am just absolutely um, going on anecdote and um, guess, you know, guessing really. But I think if that is the case, that would probably say, well, you need to just not worry about how you train or whatever, as long as you're covering the very basics in terms of kind of movement planes, progressive overload, like you said, Johnny, inevitably intensity over time has to go up because otherwise, if you don't, if intensity doesn't go up and, and volume's anything that's kind of going up over time, you'll run out of time to train because you'll end up doing a billion reps per exercise. So kind of intensity has to go up to allow you to increase volume over time because otherwise, yeah, you just, you'd run out of time. You'd have to be training 24 hours a day um, just to fit in your gym sessions. So um, but anyway, as long as you're kind of covering those basics, I think the actual, then the rest of it probably doesn't make that much difference personally. I don't know if I waffled on there, if that made sense, but. I think it makes sense, but <clears throat> like I, I see, Obviously, clearly, using evidence to dictate how you train is a good thing. But you got to look at you got to look at the the people is being the the studies that are being done. It's like some of them you look at a setup and think this setup is absolutely ludicrous, and there's no way on this earth they are doing high quality twenty rep leg presses after apparently squatting to failure. So you think you look at it, you think. Mm, Lyle brings it up quite a lot. And it's like, well, actually, yeah, that, that makes sense. So really, you could say that study is irrelevant. But it's like the setup is just not reality. It's just not what happens in real life. Mm. That's just not how it works. Doing like 20-odd sets of failure, that doesn't happen. You can't do it. If you've done a proper set of failure on squat, you're not doing another five sets of leg press of failure mm. properly. You might do half reps, and you might be dog shit reps after that. We won't be doing it properly. So you look at you thinking, well, how much relevance has that study really got? Because the setup is wrong. Like how often are you using professional bodybuilders? Never. Because a lot of people don't. When you get there, when you serious about your training, you want to achieve certain things. You don't want people, unless you're paying them, obviously, or maybe they paid you a substantial money. You're not going to say, yeah, I'll be getting a bit of a 16 weeks to see if something works. You're like, nah, 16 weeks is a long time. To, to not grow, maybe. So it's like, <clears throat> of course, you've got to, as long as the volume's going up over time, obviously, then it comes to a certain point where, like you said, intensity's got to go up. Otherwise, you'd be doing a million reps a session. Intensity, volume, and you can manage injuries. You're not training like a dick, as in, like, you know, not warming up at all and trying to squat 150 straight away. You're asking for, you know, something to break. And you're consistent over time. Like I had this conversation with the boy I train with, because he's he's a PT as well. So he said I very much use like push pull legs upper lower to make sure they train in a body part twice a week, which between two thousand a week is 
well, optimal ending with three. They didn't know much about it, I think, top head. But it's like, he said, for me, it just doesn't work like that. I'm not not optimal, but he prefers not to train like that. He prefers to train a bit more bro because from what he's seen of his self, he responds and enjoys doing things like chest and triceps, very much a bro split, not quite single, you know, body part sessions, but not upper lower, not push pull legs. It's just like, well, well, whatever. And to, if he was t- talking to you and you didn't know anything, you shred it to the bone all year round because you can't eat because he's a crap eater. And people would think, oh, he must work really hard to be like that. What's hard to someone is easier to someone else because of how their body is. Like, for me, eating a lot is easy. For him, it's important. Not, it's not impossible, but it's really, really difficult. For me, to get his shape is almost, that's not beyond, but that's like, I'd have to go to a dark place to get there. And he just sits there all year round just because he can't eat. Mm-hmm. And he's shredded all the time. Mm-hmm. But, so if you tell him that, you think, oh, well, he knows he's optimal because of what he looks like. No, obviously he knows what's optimal, but he said for me, I don't I don't like training the gas while well, training this way. I was like, well, oh well, we can't really argue that. And I said to him, I said, <clears throat> not that we can measure it, but it's like if I trained like an upper lower four times a week, so twice a week, and he trained your chest and back, shoulders on his own, arms on his own, legs, say once a week, sometimes you, you cross over and do two body parts a week. If you was this, you'd have to be this, you know, same genetic, same. Per- you're a clone. What difference would there be in ten years? It's like you can't know. You can never know. We don't know. Yeah, you don't know. You can never because they will never <clears throat> be too expensive, and it's wouldn't happen. But it's like you don't know. It's kind of, the thing, thing. Is sorry, my god. You, you can you can you can talk to ten, even high high level amateurs. People in even in the industry who are evidence based and high people are. Oh, I train really high volume. I train really low volume, loads of reps. I do this type of training, that type of training, and they're all massive. You'd all go right. You know what you're doing. You follow the evidence, and they all train differently. So it's like, well, it goes back to that, isn't it? As long as you adhere to the basics and you enjoy training, then it's consistency over time. Yeah. Well, do you, on that kind of frequency question, I know we like we haven't. This isn't really the topic for today, but we obviously got into a bit of detail around it, or certainly just talked at, at length about it a bit. A lot of people go back to the 2015 Schoenfeld study around um, three versus one um, times per week training frequency, and that oh, we know that kind of two come out better than one, and three was barely any better than two so two kind of gets this this kind of thrown around as evidence-based answer to how many times you should hit or target a muscle per week um albeit they weren't actually statistically significant between the groups it was just that the trend did favor the higher frequency um but you could argue that because it's not statistically significant actually does that then count as two is better than one because obviously the difference was quite minimal and Yes, it, like a lot of these studies, what you just said, are underpowered because of the time frequencies and you know the the sample sizes and stuff. In terms of that, even if there was a significant difference between them, would you be actually be able to detect it because of the the study limitations? Possibly. I mean, you look at lots of other papers, um, which I mean, that's obviously the most common and well known one. I can't think of many off the top of my head in terms of names, but most of them are all very similar in its output. So when you kind of got volume matched research that. 
has been shown to favour high frequency. I don't think any of them actually had statistics, statistical significance between the groups, even if the trend did tend to kind of be higher, the higher frequency. So arguably, you could say we don't really know whether in reality that is better or not, having a higher frequency than, than lower. And I think, again, it probably comes down to this idea of, OK, maybe if they did do a year study or a five year study on people, which will probably never happen, but because of the costs and the limitations in that. But um, will we find out? I don't know. But who knows? I don't know. It's like when these arguments you get in the fitness energy body, you're arguing about PTs are more than even their clients. Gives a shit like they do push pull legs up or lower. What's the what, you know? They are not. And most I say more. A lot of people are not into it so much that they give a fuck about that. Mm. Like I just want to look tidy. I want to feel confident in myself. <clears throat> you know, some people buy more abs. They don't want to be honest. They don't want to sit on a bodybuilding show. They don't want to eat as much performance or muscle mass or be as shredded as they possibly humanly can be. So it, it's almost like. Pff, it's a whole pointless conversation. It's like arguing over keto versus high carb. They both work. They both do a job. It's just <clears throat> some people can stick to keto and some people can't. It's not you're talking optimality. Keto's probably not optimal for anything performance related, but it does the job for some people. It gets them shredded, and that's just what they want. It's just the fitness industry is full of stupid pointless arguments that don't really help anyone it's like well you look at i know you, you talk about pros and they, they obviously got genetically they are gifted but generally speaking you look at every single pro bodybuilder they do a lot of volume most of them probably 90 percent of them and they and they're strong as fuck they'd walk into a gym and mutilate anybody anywhere unless like powerlifters so you, it goes a thing at volume and intensity over time gets you there. Obviously, they got genetics, but they know, you know within two years you're going to get anywhere. You know, you you go in the gym, you start banging after a year, two and a year later you gain four stone. Like, yeah, you could be a pro. For, for most people, it, genetics limited anyway. So, like, you genetics limiting you anyway. You're probably going to get as big as you're going to be in in five years, say, with hard training. I mean, if if push pull legs takes you five years and a bro split takes you five and a half, does it matter? No, because you get to the same place. Maybe who knows? But it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah. It's like I, for most people, it doesn't matter. I do like or prefer higher frequency training. One because I think there is this realm or this um, risk. I suppose is probably the better word. Risk of people going into the junk volume territory of just doing too much in a session and not really oh, yeah. get in all lifting. There's this kind of rule or this. Um, law of diminishing returns where you can only do so much before your actual return just diminish so much it's just pointless doing i think that you then fall into that junk volume realm of if no one's heard of the term it's kind of like those reps you do in some sessions where you just don't feel the muscle working you don't get a pump out of it you just feel tired and you feel like almost systemically tired you know not even like the muscle itself is tired you're just like meh i just generally feel like i want to go to sleep i just got no interest in kind of doing this exercise anymore a lot of times i think if you're training single body parts it's easier to get into that realm because of obviously I suppose you're trying to cram in twice the amount of volume in one session as you might then do over two. So I do kind of think there's less risk of that happening in a yeah. higher frequency training plan. You also got the kind of the um, more opportunities to train a certain kind of movement pattern. So therefore um, probably get a benefit to kind of like learning the skill mm. for want of a better phrase. Um, and I also kind of feel like most people manage to do 
kind of enough volume in a session and then recover from them to do a second session a week so why wouldn't you so i that's why i kind of tend to favor twice a week training per muscle group and that will differ depending upon like setups and stuff you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you're just doing legs twice a week or you're just doing things you might actually do um legs and a different body part during you know a, a session or say because obviously it's going to be widely varied depending upon obviously the training needs of the individuals <coughs> excuse me it does definitely yeah so that's for me i mean that being said if people like going in and absolutely hammering a body part to fucking death because that's just what they enjoy doing then i don't think it's as detrimental as maybe some people some people point out oh, oh no that's not evidence-based you're gonna waste all of your opportunity for gains like, mm, not necessarily i mean it might not be quote-unquote optimal um but we don't really know that based on the things we just said around like all, most of the research on on, on frequency training does point to higher frequency better but not to the to the way a lot of people would shout about it not to the, like people say oh definitely two times is better than one mm, maybe it is and if i were to say one had to be better than the other i'd probably say yes two probably would end up being better than one long term but it's far from conclusive i think some people also forget that a beginner and immediate and advanced trainer will need obviously the, the fundamentals don't change but the setup of training will have to change because you're a beginner you could easily get away with one body part a week doing low volume because you you're learning the exercises you, you're going to grow by you know having <clears throat> as in developing that as a body you know, the mind muscle connection learning how to do a movement so neuromuscularly you're neurologically you are learning the movement your muscles are Got a novel stimulus, they will grow. So you could easily do once a week, once arms on his own, chest on his own, back, whatever. But as you get, <clears throat> as you learn, you, you develop skill and you sort of understand you need to do things sometimes. You have to split things up a bit because so, you can't do, you know, you gain a lot of weight on the bar, say, and you get too fatigued to do. So you were doing 20 sets of shoulders. You can't do that anymore. So then you think, well, actually, I can do, I can still do the 20 sets, but I have to do two sessions. So then you say, right, I'll have to change the way I set up my training to incorporate my development. But then you might have an advanced trainer who is trying to, you know, like a, like a bodybuilder, and who's trying to eke as much as he can out of his, you know, you're talking like a pound a year, you know, for a pro body, but that's nothing. But towards the end, not towards the, peak of their career maybe that's what they only do it and maybe they have to do giant amounts of volume to even progress a lot of people don't even do it just on that a lot of people don't even do a pound a year a lot a lot of people will just end up at the same stage weight year after year yeah and then they're looking they're up in volume maybe so much that maybe they've got to go back to, to single body part training because they you just can't you just can't do really high volume upper body all together because you've been a gym for hours so maybe they have to split it up a bit more so it all depends on the and then some people find that their certain body parts grow differently or better at a higher at a higher volume or a lower volume. I mean, mm. so it's like every, every, you know, biologically we're not very different. Are we? Let's be let's be fair, humans. No, genetically we're not very much different, but the tiny tiny little bits that are different can make a big difference in how much how much can you take? Like you you find a lot of like. A good boy was can take a pound in all the time. They joints are fine. 
they don't get injured that much. And that's the thing, and they can take the heavyweights, they can take huge volumes and be okay. But for me, immortals, that's just not possible. You just fall apart. I wonder what you're talking about then for a minute there. You're talking about how much can you take, and some people can take a massive pounding. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I guess just, just to finalise that point, you kind of like training, programming, or even like, like kind of like the, the training side of coaching, much like the nutrition side and just coaching in general really is like a constant process of iteration of just like learning what works, taking the basics, the fundamentals or the evidence, whatever, and just applying them and then just slowly mold and adaptive over time as you try stuff out. And I think training is very much that. <clears throat> and I think a lot of the trying, trying, trying things out will often then mold to your preference rather than mold to what air quotes works for you or mold to what, um, is optimal but um johnny what what is this fascination with bodybuilders and cream of rice yeah it's got it's an it's definitely an american thing i've got some in the got off in cardiff sports nutrition um they tend to do it for well they all say oh my because they all they always bang about digestion today um i think they use it for that today because it seems to digest well with them it just, it, just, it just seems to be this thing that over the past year has just been prominent on Instagram and everything else. Hold on, my wife wants something. Hi, oh, Carty. Sorry, carry on. It's, be, it's definitely, it comes from pro Bible, isn't it, in America. They have it all the time, do they? And they say, it's good for digestion, it's good for this, blah, blah, blah. I have it. Very rarely, but now and again, I got a tub, I got a kilo in there. It's a different flavour. It's just something different, isn't it? It's different gross. Food. It does sit. It does sit. It sits nicer to me than oats do. Oats are bit heavier. Cream of rice is quite light. But I just think it's like wallpaper paste. I don't mind it. Mm. There's some blueberries in there. Bit of honey in there. You're alright. But no. you look at the price of it. Like you got like over there, they use your. Oh, was it? It's like, it's a, it may be Quaker, like the orange orange tub tub of packet, and it's like I think it's loads of money to buy over there. It's like ready brick in it, orange tub. Yes, same colour as that, similar colour. Mm. And it's like, why would you pay that much for that for tiny for a tiny amount? I I actually thought cream of rice was a baby food. I'm not going to lie. I did when I first uh, heard about it, but. It wouldn't surprise me because bodybuilders will consume anything like that if they think it's got some kind of special mechanism to increase hypertrophy. Well, when I was when I first started training, I was like whatever, seventeen, eighteen, whatever. I was in in a gym, very, very bro gym, good though, good fun, Mike. And they were talking about I, I eat baby food, and I'm thinking to myself, babies are tiny. There's not many calories in baby food. You are a giant man. What what? What benefit is that giving you? Nothing at all. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not really. It show it 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 shows the level of education they have in the do, subject. It's not very. Do you think they perhaps mix the baby food with baby breast milk? Not yeah. not breast from babies, as in breast milk from babies. I mean, as in sorry, just breast milk. Yeah, but I think then again, why would you want <sighs> hormones? Milk? Hormones. Yeah. I don't know. So then, no, the, the body's been is quite well developed to know this. It's feeding a child, a child, a child's nutrition is different 
when they baby babies to a, you know, a grown man. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily the breast the breast milk which is causing a baby to turn into an adult. Anyway, if I'm honest, or grow that fast. No. Um, but I, I've seen or heard in the news or stories about bodybuilders that have used like partners breast milk as a you know because they think it's going to increase anabolism or hypertrophy or just get jacked. You want to jam in testosterone? Why do you need any any? <laughs> well, there, there is that. You don't do. You don't need any. <clears throat> The only good thing that's come from like, you know, kids going to grow is like growth hormone and tests because you know tests is what you know what makes man a man. So yeah, say fair enough, jab that into he's going to he's going to help you and growth and all that. But drinking baby milk and eating baby foods probably not going to do anything to you at all. Did you have you ever tried Shelley's breast milk? No, I bet you have. You're I, haven't. Some, mm, I have. I haven't tried Shelley's either, mate. Wait, no, I haven't tried Jenna's. Um, I don't. I, I think I might vomit a little bit if I did actually. I'll probably give her a go. Just but it's like not for any like I get me games, but I probably have a go. I just no, I can't. Um, no, I just can't do it. Uh, I, I'm hurt. I, I've heard. I hear that it's sweet or sweeter. People have said before that's quite sweet. I don't know if that's true or not, but maybe it's got high lactose or yeah, lactose. Maybe. I can't bear in mind it's a sugar molecule. I just wouldn't imagine it being sweet, but it's all—it's also a bit like if you ever see women, obviously that have ex- expressed milk, it's also a bit like clumpy or um, no, clumpy is not the right word because obviously that makes it sound like cottage cheese. Um, it's got like thicker, creamy bits in it, which is a bit gross. It's like, oh, this is, and it's a really yellowy orange color as well, or well, not orange, like a yellowy milk colour like almost like real cream rather than white yeah why are we talking about breast milk who brought that oh it's me um <laughs> okay. we, we were supposed to be talking on this episode bear in mind we're 34 minutes in around what are our favorite christmas foods uh for a bit of fun for christmas but we've decided to go off on a tangent and talk about training frequency for the best part of half an hour and now breast milk which is also quite fun is one of your favorite christmas foods breast milk and cookies no, no, neither. Actually, okay. I did. There was um, Sherry's made give her like um, like a hampery thing, and there was stolen bites in there, and I like them. I like stolen. So I said to her, take them out the house. Food and environment. I thought take them out the house. Bit harsh. <laughs> she like me the mind. She doesn't like them. So I said I don't want to take them out the house. Take my parents. She took my parents' house. I said I don't want it because it's one of those you have one, you have ten. It's like Get it out of yours. Mm. Just it's the food environment thing, isn't it? Get it out. If you can, if you can, get it out. It, it, that that's. I mean, it's, I absolutely agree. Obviously, and I've talked about Brian Wansick's work before around kind of setting up food environment and how important I think it is for dieters. And obviously, I'm not dieting at the moment, so I find it find it, I will find it easier. But I will say I've always had a reasonable amount of control dieting about my food environment. I've not had to worry too much about knowing there is chocolate in the house or whether whatever for some reason it doesn't kind of appeal or i don't have this kind of lack of control to be like mm, there's chocolate in the in the cupboard go get it go on go get it go on just have a little piece go on go on i just i'm I'm probably worse if i do go and have some and get a taste like eat some chocolate and i'll finish it and i'll think hmm i could really eat more of that but mm. 
usually I can curb that quite quickly with either something like a cup of tea or just a bit of willpower for 20 minutes, which then the, the cravings or this kind of exacerbated food reward is probably what I would describe it as, then just subsides. I don't really have this problem like a lot of people where, like like you've just explained, where they know if there's stuff in the house or in the fridge or whatever, that if it's there, they can't stop themselves having it. It's only, it's, it's, it's only them all. Like, it's, there's, like, there's mince pies where there's, I don't know, Jaffa cake. I think it got to be Jaffa cakes. Um, and a tin of other stuff. I'm just, I, am, I don't touch them because it doesn't, that doesn't bother me. It's like a, a Terry's chocolate orange as well. Oh, I Galaxy bar. I do like a Terry's chocolate yeah, orange. It doesn't really bother me. Do you want to something weird? Sorry, man. I just cut you across the end, but I just want to talk about this. Um, I don't really like chocolate orange, but I really like Terry's chocolate orange. Why is that? Weird. Well, it's weird then. Yeah, yeah weird. Especially the dark one. The dark one's really good. Like the red box one. It's, it's, it's odd, isn't it? Mm. But yeah, I got quite a lot of chocolate in the house. I don't buy it. Because you bought it for Christmas. But generally speaking, we don't have much chocolate here. If ever. No, I, don't, I don't I tell lies. Not if ever. There's a couple of like you know it's a pack of mini rolls like the kids want something uh-huh. they don't tend to eat a lot of shit they have now because of Christmas and stuff but generally speaking like Eliza will snack on peppers cucumber mm. and not, not I don't force her to I'm like not one of these people that like, oh you got to eat out it's like well you're a kid like just eat you know I'm in control of what you eat but you know so I can monitor what you're eating but that's what she likes fruit and stuff like that but we do have them. They can have stuff whenever they want it. Like, but so there's not that much shit, you know. Really, like we don't share have a prosecco now and again. Mm-hmm. But there's been there's a there's been a bottle of Bailey's, two bottles of Bailey's in that cupboard over there. It's been there for eighteen months. It's just like that's not something that we. No, you don't drink though either, do you? So obviously it's easy, really. I guess. But I'm and... def- like you said earlier, I'm definitely the same as I'm better off not having any than having some. I think yeah I'm I'm not I'm I'm I wouldn't say I'm better off not having any I just know that having some does in some instances and occasions cause cravings for more but I think that's relatively easy dealt with easily dealt with by myself and that I think the like totally restricting would be worse for me personally than it would be for that I think just to completely try to avoid it and don't wrong like that's not always the case there's some periods in, in a diet where I will avoid it because I don't actually have um, it, or it wouldn't be the right option to even include it in my diet not because of necessarily the cravings but because I'd just be hungry generally because of the offset I'd have on other parts of my diet but um, in terms of Christmas foods then so Stone and Bites what else is what else what else do you enjoy yeah. Christmas cake mm, okay uh, interesting trifle and loads of cream on I do like a good trifle although the cream's not the best part of a trifle no but I uh, cream as well loads and loads of cream on prefer to rolls loads of cream on Cream's a theme, obviously. Yeah. Cream Chuck, rice. It's dirty stuff. I mean, so like I could go out with I could go out with Christmas dinner, no problem. Whatever. But the other stuff is nice. Have you not bought things like fancy mince pies? Or because they're, they're going around at the moment, like the the different types of flavored mince pies, or like speculoos mince pies, salted caramel mince pies, or mince pie and yes, bullshit <laughs> pie. Mince pies, mince pie, not in caramel. No caramel in the mince pie. Mince pie. <laughs> Men's pies over there. Cool. I, mean, I won't say they're posh. What's flip? What? Uh, 
Was it a Porsche? Which was? Like a Midlands one, probably. It's not Porsche. Did, how, how do you feel about an iced topped mince pie? So basically, instead of a pastry top, like a pastry, so it's pastry casing at the bottom, but it's iced with icing on the top rather than. It's technically not a mince pie, then, is it? I don't care. They're called ice. They're called iced mince pies, so I think they are. They're just not a, a traditional, original mince pie. Not traditional mince pie, then. They're, they're a modified pie. So you know? are you are you a no on the iced then? I would I would eat them, yeah, but. Well, why just keep those, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, uh, it's funny. Obviously, I had a very similar conversation with with um, uh, a, f- a friend of mine on Instagram. Um, he basically said anyone that has an ice mince pie, um, it's basically it's equivalent of blasphemy. It's like it shouldn't happen. And I said, well, I'll be honest. I put a poll out, and it lit. I'm not joking. I mean, forty five, fifty votes or something, which is a reasonable number of votes, I think. I come at literally fifty fifty. I think the first ever poll I've had that is complete dead even split. Is that so, on your stories or a post? That was on my stories, but um I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I expected more people to be traditional and stick with their original mince pies and not the ice topped, but I'm agnostic, I'll be honest. And I'm also happy with all of the fancy ones. You know, I don't mind one with salt caramel. Although what I will say is most of those things are always amazing in description and on paper, but a bit of a letdown when you eat them. They never taste as good as they sound or, or are described. But I think what I, that, it brings my head now. Talking about other things, Jaffa cakes, you know, orange night. Remember the strawberry ones? Uh, I don't know if I ever tried them. They do pineapple ones as well, don't they? Oh, I can't. I don't sell right to it. No, I don't think strawberry ones are so do either. What I have bought recently, which is not. Normally, what I what I would associate with a whey protein is lemon meringue flavor whey. Okay, is it PhD or no? I ordered. I what I order? I think I ordered egg whites oh. from bulk powders, and I think I had to spend a couple of quid more free delivery. So it's, it's pointless, really. You're spending more money to get free delivery, and it's not really free because you you know what I mean. The new, but well, as long as you're getting something that you use, and you're not just yeah. wasting the extra spend, but. Like eight quid, I think, for 500 grams, whatever it was. It wasn't much for 500 grams. So I'll try a different flavor I've never tried. It's normally like chocolate, strawberry, vanilla, banana, some sort of peanut buttery flavor. I thought, I'll try lemon. Oh, really nice. Top quality. I like it. Really mm. nice. I, I, I've had, in the past, the PhD Smart um, Protein, which is supposed to be a protein that you can obviously drink in a shake, but you can also mix into a mousse. I'll be honest, the mousse variant of it isn't particularly good. It's obviously got some type of thickener in it, which if you don't put loads of water and you whisk it, it turns into a little bit like Angel Delight, but it doesn't really, if I'm honest. Um, or if you put more water, it, it'll just go down like a normal whey shake. I think it's lemon drizzle flavour. That was quite nice in terms of taste. That was quite a nice flavour. I'm just a bit of a, you know, they're supposed to be smart proteins because of this idea of that it can be a mousse or a, or a shake, which let down. But... Um, I can't believe that so far you haven't mentioned something like in terms of Christmas treats, Lebkuchen or any type of German or Bavarian spiced cake slash biscuit. Don't have them really. Because that's my favourite Christmas snacks. Like I go through so or that and mince pies, but I go through so many at Christmas time. Um, like either the most places certainly like you get your Aldi's, your Lidl's, or your Tesco's, your supermarkets. Most of them will do like a an iced. Uh, variant so it's kind of like covered in a crisp icing not like icing cake but more like just a icing sugar um or they do like more traditional softer variants just covered in like a chocolate like a dark chocolate they're delicious so good so so good and actually pretty good pre-workout because reasonably low fat high carbohydrate snacks any cinnamon involved in it 
while they're very spicy generally there's there's obviously cinnamon inside of it um i don't know what's i mean i'm gonna guess cinnamon nutmeg clove those types of flavors so you get is it a mixed spice spice you haven't had those that smells like a dessert a what a mixed spice what like it's mixed, you know, I've done little pots of spices and herbs. There's a mixed spice one in there, which is just smells like dessert. You know uh, I mean? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to ram. I imagine that would come from what you're on about. Yeah, no, it will, but you've got to ram in a billion tons of sugar and obviously some fats too to make them amazing. But I'm actually just going to look up the ingredients in, in Lebkuchen because I'd be interested to know. Yeah, Leb Kuchen, L-E-B-K-U-C-H-E-N, um, or in some places I think it's Leber Kuchen. There's, an, there's a second E, so L-E-B-E Kuchen rather than that. But uh, Waitrose has a recipe, and it's uh, cinnamon, ginger, nut. How do I miss out ginger? Cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, allspice, cloves. So if you want the rest of the recipe, butter, honey, treacle, muscovado sugar. Self-raising flour, bicarbonate soda, cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, allspice cloves, one egg, dark chocolate, icing, sugar. And I will say, they are the best snacks. The best. Yeah, I love a good leg cooking. Although, what I will say, and they only come out at Christmas, Tesco's do, and they've had them last year and this year again. I've gone through two packs this year already. Um, I can't remember exactly what they are in terms of the, the maybe I should try and find them but they're like a, a party snack mix so like a bag of nuts but in them are salt, little mini salted pretzels um i think something like salted caramel covered nuts so like nuts with a salted caramel like yogurty coat or chocolatey coating you know like you know like chocolate peanuts but obviously salted caramel flavor and then there's like um little caramel toffee discs like a bit like milky buttons milky way buttons or milky bar buttons sorry but in like a caramelly sort of type or like a bit like a caramac i suppose um and then there's also some sort of i think coffee or something or something dark like coffee covered maltesers or something i think like coffee flavored covered maltesers honestly they are crack cocaine in, in food form like you have that i I've, i i was talking about my own god i'm going off on one now talking about my own uh, willpower and my control of stuff I, whenever I open a bag of that, I think to myself while I'm doing it, don't do this. This is a ridiculous idea because there's no way that bag's going to last more than a day. And there aren't many foods I'll ever say that about. I can, as I say, I can control my willpower quite well or, or my just my self-control generally. But I can't stop myself going in for a little handful every now and then, like two or three times a day. And then next time I know I've eaten that whole bag in a couple of days without even tracking or noticing any of those those intakes. It's like, ah. Oh. Hmm. Actually, I did the same with some peanut M and M's last week as well. Actually, although they weren't actually peanut M's, they were little zone some sort of Halloween snacks. So they've clearly been in my cupboard for a while because they're obviously from Halloween. But uh, yeah, as soon as they got open, they went in a day or day and a half. Right. Hmm. Speaking of German foods, when I go to Germany, there's I ordered by accident the first year I went. Anyway, because the gym, I just picked one. Like, there's that. It was in, in the main meal, but it actually came out, and it was a German pancake, like an apple pancake with apple sauce in it. Oh, it's like, like a, it's, it's it a, like a strudel? No. No? Mm, okay. It's hard to describe what it is, really. It's like a pancake type of thing, crossed with like a bread and butter pudding type feel. You know what I mean? With apple sauce on the side. 
and it's a dessert. We have a dessert with a bar. It's awesome. And again, it's like actually like, oh yes, this is awesome. That's nice. If that was you and I'd eat that. Yeah, if I was a Christmas food, that'd be it. That'd be my favourite. Hmm. Yeah, I'm all over that. I, I suppose when I think of Christmas foods, I'm thinking of like snacks rather than desserts or meals. Although you can't beat a nice chocolate Yule log. Uh, yeah, are you a Christmas pudding fan? Do you like Christmas pudding? I do like Christmas pudding. Yeah, it's got cream in it. Hmm, I'm a custard man. I'd have both. Whatever. What together or just either? I'd have them both together. <laughs> I can do one or the other. Yeah, just have both together, whatever. Eat it all. One or the other, yeah. I do prefer, generally speaking, I do prefer cream or things. Mm. A custard, hot or cold? Cold. Yeah, me too. Wife's the opposite. She has to have it warm. Which is really annoying, because that means I have to do hers separate to my custards. Sort of. Yeah. Um, if you're having it cold, I'm assuming it's, it's really made out of a tin then, like ambrosia or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Way better than yeah. um, like packet mix stuff, which you know, a lot of people do. Uh, here's a here's a fun fact, a bit of nostalgia about Hadley. I uh, remember a lot of the times as a child, used to go to this local theme park called uh, Pleasurewood Hills. Even local, they get a little blast in the past. Although it's still open, you can still go. Um, we used to take picnics, and I vividly remember memories of me very young. And when I say very young, I'm kind of like probably summer's age, three, four. Um, crying my eyes out because we didn't have any custard to take us tin custard that I like to eat so we had to stop at a petrol station on the way and pick some up spoiled mm. yeah yeah my grandparents my nanny god rest R.I.P no, no longer with us but I remember her having to stop and, and get some you were only child no got a sister no fair enough mate I was I, I am not I do not suffer from only child syndrome I'll tell you that for sure I've got a couple of friends that do mind you but so I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about but no. Even, even even at this age, like thirty odd. What you think I don't? What are you saying? You think I do? No, you don't. Oh, you but, mean my friends? Oh, yeah, for sure. Even now, like people in the in their thirties, they still behave like kids. You like grow up for Christ's sake. Yeah, I've, I've just got a couple of friends that are very much you. Just the way they interact with people, they're just a bit self-centered. Is probably the easiest way, although it's far more nuanced than that. But. Self-centered easy way to describe it. It just they just don't seem to look further outside of their own little bubble because they're so used to kind of being the only kind of I I, I guess the only uh, direction of attention. You think that as as you grow older, you think you'd, you'd have the social um, intelligence to realize that that's not how it should be. Hmm. Really, I know people do attention themselves, you know, but you know to have a good conversation, we did listen to someone else and. You know, direct the conversation towards them than you sometimes. Yeah. These some of those friends I refer to do some very selfless and really thoughtful stuff, but there's also a lot of the just general stuff where you think you're you're so an only child. Like you can so tell that you're an only child about some of the things, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, I was trying to Google best Christmas foods to get some other good ideas, but to be honest, there's some really shit lists out there in terms of. Whether, whether there's any decent Christmas foods but um, I mean mo- most of my best Christmas foods focus purely around this kind of idea of mince pies and lead cooking if I'm being totally frank although there are um, some fantastic Christmas ice creams at the moment mince pie flavour from Lidl and a gingerbread flavour from Lidl I think if you want to go in for good Christmas food M&S are good yeah yeah I back, agree with you 
like I know they're really expensive, but I've, I've shopped there once or twice at Christmas, and it's like their food is a different level to Tesco's and the rest of them. I know as you pay them for it, like I don't mind paying stuff if it's good quality, but like they dessert, so like, oh my god, they're out of this world. So I mean, like, oh, I could eat the whole thing, and I could be like 10,000 calories deep, yeah, no problem. Yeah. 10,000 calorie challenge be a piece of piss. Yeah, I just uh, had a check in with a client of mine a minute ago, and he's asked what you're doing for Christmas, and um, we got chatting about other stuff. And I said, Well, I'll very much take the opinion of that. I'll probably sink 10,000 calories quite comfortably by on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just don't see how you do it. And I said, Well, when you focus on the right foods, you can definitely do it. But so I think it's like people are, even though we are nearly 100%, well, nearly 100% the same, the, the differences in people are phenomenal, isn't it? Mm. So like this guy who told me earlier can't eat for shit that's why he's shredded all the time without even trying I'm like you could see a Christmas tree in your back you're not even dieting you're not even trying a diet mm. he's like oh, yeah I just sit there all the time I'm like it's fucking ridiculous like like for us together I'd be fucking six months of dieting like and the other way around I can just eat like a pig He's never going to get 10,000 calories in. Never, ever, ever. Never, ever. He just can't. Yeah. But it's like how different, how people, how different people are. You know, like, it's like every client's going to be different than they. They can't, you can't handle everybody the same because they're not the same, are they? Nope. But um, I think he's never been fat, though. So it's, you know, it's different if you've been that weight all the time. Yeah, then if someone's come down to that weight, like people have come down there from being forced never will struggle to stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You you mentioned MS actually, and just suddenly triggered a memory in that how good like every year I buy a box of these, but how good are the MS um, extremely chocolatey biscuits? They are extremely chocolatey and extremely good. Yeah, it's just they just feel like you bite the thing. They're mm. solid, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're some hefty, weighty well, numbers. You think, oh, these are some fantastic, extremely chocolatey biscuits. Like these are like these are three figure calories per biscuit. Yeah, no doubt. That's the quality. Of no, dear, yeah, that's the quality. Um, I remember actually, little this year did some very nice honey gingerbread like bite things. Um, they were like gingerbread covered in chocolate with nuts on them. They were delicious as well. I suddenly realised like that when I'm naming some of this stuff, bear in mind these are all things I've probably eaten this year. Fuck me, I've done some Christmas snacking already. And what is it? Well, it's, it's not bad. It's four days before now, isn't it? So. No. It makes me wonder how I've managed to maintain, well, say maintain, slightly, very, very slowly. Actually, no, let's go back to maintain, actually, because rather than say maintain my weight, maintained my rate of weight gain that I wanted, a.k.a. very slow, a.k.a. that 0.25% per per month. Amazing, Mm. actually. Hmm. Yeah, but is it it one of those things where you just naturally, I don't know, because the exercise you naturally move around more? I would say that I don't have a particularly adaptive metabolism on the way up, especially on the way down, probably more so, which is, I think, quite typical of most people. Most people tend to adapt quite well. If they're going to adapt, they adapt quicker on the way down than on the way up, which, again, I think from a logical survival um, idea, ideal or mechanism, that makes sense that, you you know, if you're starving yourself or you're starving, I should say, if, and historically you that would obviously mean death your body would probably adapt quite quickly to stop you dying. Whereas gaining weight, other than trying to outrun a saber-toothed tiger, isn't necessarily that much of a hindrance. In fact, it's probably quite good for survival. So therefore, it probably doesn't adapt. Um, actually, I don't know if I've really explained that very well, actually, in hindsight, now I've run it from my head. 
Um, anyway, I, yeah, I think I think most people doesn't tend to adapt so well going up in terms of they don't kind of burn off those calories and actually for survival they will probably um put on weight a bit easier but they tend to struggle to then lose weight for that reason because obviously your body's trying to not lose weight so you don't die of starvation does that make sense does make sense it may, i think it makes sense i mean again completely evidence-based really um although i would say it's probably one of those things that's widely accepted by a lot of people because it just logically makes sense that your body doesn't want, doesn't want you to starve to death, but it'll happily let you put on weight because it isn't really that detrimental other than being, as I say, you, you can't run away from a saber-toothed tiger. But it's good, obviously, for those energy stores to help you get through the winter, say, as an example. Yeah. So You can get a bit fatter and get shredded over the winter. Eh? Yeah. But, but there are plenty of people that seem to adapt upwards. Like, yeah. so, like you, you feed, overfeed them and they don't put any weight, so you increase calories more and they don't put any weight. You're like, what the hell's going on? Uh, they just seem to somehow manage to find a way to expend all of those extra calories like, because they're just fidgety or anxious or just move a lot or whatever. The boy I train with, very fidgety all the mm. time. Mm. Something all the time. Mm-hmm. I think we generally, you would say he's more active, but it's like, he definitely adapts all the way up. It's like, he went from, this is the weight he is. He's not big. He's not tiny, but he's not, he looks bigger than he is. He's 12, 2. So he got a 12.8 and thought, I feel too bloated. I, I'm not angry. It's not happening. I'm not doing it. I just don't feel right. Makes mm-hmm. you feel sick. I'm like, you know, wish I was like that. Yeah. Well, that, that, I suppose that's that's less adapting to, I guess, like energy output. Well, I suppose it is, but it's kind of rather than you're metabolically adapting, that's kind of more hormonally and appetite regulation, isn't it? In that as soon as they start pushing above like this idea of this hypothesized set point or settling point, your body just drags you back down by making you feel like you don't want to eat or you're not hungry because it just doesn't want you to get out of that settling range. Um, which does happen with a lot of people, but I guess that like I say the, the, there are these people that have these, these hyper adaptive metabolisms, which if you just overfeed them, they just find ways of burning those calories off without really even kind of thinking or knowing about it a lot of the time. So, which I don't think I am personally. I, th- I think like it takes quite a long time. I mean, you think about it like, um, I'm now three and a bit, nearly three and a half months into or out of a deficit. And I would probably say only now do I feel like my metabolism starting to ramp up or not even ramp up, it's probably not the right word, but rebuild or feel comfortable or confident in in it. So to a point where I think I probably need to increase my calories now, probably. And I probably would have done if it wasn't now coming up to Christmas. I probably would have done so. This is the first time. It's not like a lot of people where two weeks after a diet, they're like ramping up calories over and over again because they just keep adapting to it. I don't think I have done that, but... I think I'm really honest. Like when someone's mm-hmm. overweight and you want to lose, I talking about my uh, like in with like periodizing your weight loss. Like forty pound is a lot of weight. You know, a lot of but for forty pound, for forty pound of meat in front of you, that's a lot of there's a lot of meat in it. Mm-hmm. Like the way you said it, ideally, this is not well, well it's not reality. Ninety percent of the time, generally, for most people. Like if you eat an example of dying of two hundred pound, two hundred and sixty pound. If you get to 180, 185, say it takes you ten weeks, he would then maintain so whatever new maintenance is carry wise, he'd maintain that for fifteen weeks. Right? So you're already twenty five weeks deep into a diet and then he then you'd go again, lose another five, ten percent. And then however long that took, you diet you'd maintain again. For the diet, times you know one and a half times, then you do a three to four times, 
to get to 160. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think in th- I think in theory, it makes sense because you're you're making friends with that weight and you're staying at that weight for, you know, two months on end, three months on end, leaving things settled down, your appetite to, you know, regulate your hormones, regulate to that weight. Then you're going again. Then you're doing the same thing. So, I think long if you're if you're if you've got long-term goals of being relatively lean, I say relatively lean because you could probably maintain 10 or 12% all year round, then it would make sense to do it that slowly. I think if you could tell people that from the get-go and they go, yeah, I'm into that. People don't, I'm not into that at all. You say 40 point and two, it's like, nah, I'm not doing that, it's too slow. But generally speaking, for long-term um, success, it's probably the way to go on it. Yeah, I I think if I certainly find it easier longer term comparing the two kind of alter or the other alternative of dieting straight through and obviously I guess harder but in a shorter period. I, I said to you didn't I, off 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 air or before. Um, anecdotally, I genuinely do believe and I've seen myself and with clients that I don't know why, but it seems to be anywhere between this kind of like five and maximum ten percent like weight loss number. And obviously, you know, it's a percentage, so it's relative rather than it being a set, you know, £10, say. People just hit a wall or struggle. For some reason, like, it's like a lot of bodies just don't, don't once you hit, so like, you know, your number of a £200 person, once they kind of hit that probably um, 10 to, to £20 loss, which, you know, probably fits in really what Mike's saying there, in, you know, 185 or, you know, 180, <coughs> or between 190 and 180. Um, hormonally and I'd use that term as as in again unevidence basis and I don't know the mechanism but it makes sense it's probably hormonally or whatever or just for some reason your body wants to adapt to say mm, I think this is enough weight loss for now This is, we're going to try and make it a bit harder for you therefore kind of ramp up appetite and just like slow down um, mechanisms to make you feel tired and fatigued and just basically not want to diet anymore so that idea of just kind of sitting in that realm while it's at that hard point and taking a bit of break and recovering before going again I think definitely is a a thing that most people should consider or, or probably have better results or, or even, you know, you might not make it ototherwise because mm. it's just kind of I, too hard. I think it's, you, because you, obviously the last few years you, people have talked about like diet breaks, um, refeed days, like a refeed day was nothing hormonally, nothing at all. A week, probably not under anything. Psychologically, you know, which is what a lot of people need. But I think a lot of people talk about diet breaks and they talk about like you know getting your your hormones back to where they should be your, hun- your hunger hormones where they should be and in a week it's not a matter no. it takes it's going to take you, you really speaking like you said it's the equivalent time that you've been dieting for like you should be doing it like but psychologically a week I think a week even going for like two like like my example going from two one to two five if one of the is, is is not a lot really but it's a lot when you've been dieting mm. And it's right what you said. It's like you get, I think I've lost 7.5%, 8%-ish. And you definitely feel a hunger going bump, 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 ramping up quite quick. And it's like, oh, you can sort of, this is getting a bit harder now. Like yeah. before, it's like, oh. That's, that's, that's exactly why I said to you that like now, I think, so obviously we're kind of consulting more than anything around kind of your diet and stuff. And I said, to you, like, I think now would be an ideal opportunity to take a bit of a rest and enjoy over the Christmas period Sorry to interrupt this episode, but we just wanted to let you know that we're currently accepting applications to work with any of our coaches to help you lose weight and get shredded or build muscle and get jacked. If you want to know more, just head over to nnncoaching.com forward slash apply. 
No contract lengths, just evidence-based coaching to make sure you get the results you've always been after. Um, a, 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 not really even a maintenance phase, but kind of a non-dieting phase that is mindful and moderate just to allow you to kind of hopefully stave off this a bit longer and almost prime for another phase of dieting after the year. You probably do need longer in reality, but like the yeah. point you made, you don't you don't have that time luxury because you've got a, a goal at the end of it that is time um, dependent. But I do think it's, you know, you probably are hitting that point of the amount of weight loss you've had and, you know, reasonably aggressive start, like as we planned, you're going to start to see these adaptations or these kind of, um, well, yeah, these adaptations that are going to make you th- the diet harder and make you feel like, mm, I'm a lot hungrier now. And you've, you've kind of hit that like anecdotal realm that, you know, like you said, seven and a half percent that is banging that five to 10% mark where we think a lot of people now really start to struggle. And I don't really know why that is, but I just see that time and time again with clients and, and myself where this, this kind of realm just seems to be a sticking point for people. And a lot of people say, Oh, I just, they've got that real struggle to get past this point and I can't lose more body fat. And I don't think it's a case they can't lose body fat. I think they can't adhere. And they just, they're lying to themselves saying that, I, you know, I've got the stubborn fat. And it's, no, you just can't adhere. So you're not really kind of dieting anymore because hormonally and all the other things, you're, you know, starting to sneak in food and lower your activity levels and stuff like that without even knowing. And I think, I think for people when, even for even for me, you think, ah, oh, it's a week off diet. And you know, obviously you're going to get a hard line, but you know that the week is will help you probably lose more in the back end. Because like you said, if you start, like nobody's perfect, and unless you're tracking right there and then, and go, right, I have had these two carriage roses or whatever, you're going to forget. Well, I'm not saying you will forget, but the chances are you might you might forget. And those things over time will add up to, actually, my weight is... Stable, yeah. And you can have stable weight for a couple, you know, for a couple of days, a week or two, because of water and stress and things again. It will come off, but sometimes you just snack anything. Actually, you're not losing, mm-hmm. but having that week or two of actually being on whatever, just whatever, five, say five hundred calories more, it keeps, you know, it, it even enables you to have that in there and go right. I can actually have this in, and I can track it, and I still, I can have. I'm not. I would never recommend it, but you could have if you really wanted to. 500 calories of the things you're snacking on, which may be more you're doing anyway. Now you've accounted for it. It's mentally easier because you know you can have it. And so you can that, get... Just on that, sorry, mate. I just, I, I, that's, you just brought up something that we said about before and I think it's really prominent. That... I that, So that... that, that um example you gave of that where you know you increase your calories by 500 and that might not actually mean you're eating any more than you were previously but you're all of a sudden accounting for it that comes down to the idea of people's um almost rpe or rate of perception rate rate of perceived exertion on their diet as in like the when you're eating 500 calories not knowing but you've got this real high perceived exertion rate because you think you're dieting and you're not you're not getting the results back because you're not losing any weight all of a sudden, your accountant flow is 500. Even though your nutrition hasn't changed, you're still eating the same foods, your your kind of perception of your exertion is a lot lower because all of a sudden you know you're not dieting. So therefore, you're not expecting the results and you've kind of got this whole different mindset. And I think that is big. And I think that's why I really want to bring that out while you said it. It's just cut across you a bit. But I think that's big, actually, because it does make a big difference. And all of a sudden, like, actually, I feel a bit 
less worn down because I'm not demoralised or not disappointed that I'm not getting the results because I know why, whereas I didn't before. And how, how often do you see people end? They've gone a week or two diet break and then the weeks after that, their weight goes, I don't say plummets, but they, they, their weight loss starts going hmm. pretty quickly again. So you know, no, you know, they're, they're, they're legitimately maybe less stress so you may well be holding less water which is a thing but you, you you've gone and adhered 100 percent again whereas mm. before maybe those that 10 percent of calories you were accounting for were keeping you on weight not say 10 whatever it is they were keeping you on maintenance and you weren't doing anything yeah so and so it, it, it does make sense because like dieting is easy in terms of how it's done dieting is not easily it's not easy psychologically so from the neck down dieting is a piece of piss right? as in but from the from the neck up as Broderick Chavez says is a shit show is everything that can go wrong with diet is probably up there mm. in your head I say not in your head but you know what I mean you know there's the brain controls fucking everything doesn't it yeah and yeah. psychologically is if you can flick a switch on someone who's dieting to psychologically be you know understand proper hunger, know the set of a diet, food environment. If you could flick that switch of a perfect psychology, no one would ever, ever struggle to maintain, lose weight and maintain it ever again. But psychology is king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Especially when it's coming up to Christmas time with the worst food environment known to man other than a buffet restaurant on a holiday. But we talked mm-hmm. about that before. Um, enjoy this chat, mate. Uh, this I guess I was about to say I wish everyone a Merry Christmas but this will probably unless we decide to release it early um, will go out after Christmas now so I hope everyone had a fantastic Christmas and indulged in all of the Christmas foods that we spoke about Um, if uh, there were foods that you really loved this is the listeners here that you that we didn't discuss and you would like to give us a shout out let us know I'd like I'd be interested because I'm I'm not averse to a post-Christmas snack Um, if anything they're probably cheap now because it'll be after Christmas and they'll be reduced. So uh, I'm more than happily going indulge in some ideas if people have got some some bangers they want to share. This is not so much a not so much a, like a snack, but the food you make after Christmas, bubble and squeak. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Like a bit. I'll be honest. Any Christmas leftovers? Like I, I, I think I probably speak for the nation here that. Um, Christmas lunch and then obviously Christmas leftovers for dinner and probably the next five days is some of the best meals. Mm. Like I love, I I love a leftover. Um, so quite traditionally in my house, obviously you know turkey dinner and stuff for your Christmas. But I do love Christmas night where it's like part baked baguettes, like the leftover meats, pickles, and all that type of stuff. Banging yeah. and a good pickled egg as well. I love a pickled egg. No shit. No so shit. No. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit that bit out. <laughs> oh dear! Right. Well. Anyway. Uh, back. Back to the wishing everyone a great new year. I suppose now. I hope everyone have a great new year. Uh, enjoys themselves. Happiness is key. Um, yeah. But do it, mi- do it mindfully. Yeah. There's one thing. Don't be one of those people who starts on New Year's Day. If you're going to start something, do it now, right now, because it's going to be. 28th it's nothing day do it now I am I don't 100% agree uh, I think in that 
and the reason I don't hunt and agree is I think each their own like people should be allowed to make the choices that they want to and I get why people feel it's like less stress and easier to do after the year end what I don't want people to do though don't be one of these people that go oh, I'm going to start a new year but I'm going to smash every motherfucking thing possible between now and then that's probably a little bit crazy and I wouldn't recommend doing that and if you want to enjoy yourself while still being a bit mindful and just um but yeah mind mindful of that you do want to start a diet in new year but want to still remain a little bit relaxed crack on but yeah don't go hmm gonna start saving some money next week so i'm just gonna rack up a bit of uh, a bit of credit card debt before before i start saving because that's obviously a really sensible thing to do i was referred to anything food as well anything don't start in january start now hmm. anything i suppose yeah. i suppose starting doesn't have to be dieting anyway does it as in no. like you know, starting could just be to start to think about what your plan's going to be or to start to think about food or what you need to do to, what do you need to work on? Is it food relationships? Is it nutrition knowledge? Is it all of these things? I guess that could be, a start could mean anything. Yeah, or it could mean, rather than eating like a complete tool, not doing it. Yeah. Right. On that note, it is 20 to 10 and I'm going to see what Christmas snacks I can eat before bed and fuck up my circadian rhythm. Mm, I'm probably going to have a um, bowl of cream of rice no I'm going to have a bedtime extreme from black powders it's a casein protein that sounds like the most delightful of bedtime snacks and I'm so excited for you your voice sounds (laughs) (laughs) you really want Um, in all honesty I'm, I'm likely of going down and having a protein bar for some form of protein before bed um no doubt some form of festive treat like a mince pie maybe a couple of rows of chocolate of some sort whatever i've got in the fridge oh actually i know what i have got i might have one of those actually i've got some winter spiced or winter cookie i can't remember what they're called i think they're winter cookie twixes they're like a um gingery cinnamony spicy twix lovely on the topic of cookies the cookie dealer i don't know if you can get them over here maybe they ship them over i don't know but it's juan morel the one of the Olympians is he owns it, and the, the the cookies they make they look absurd. As yeah. in, it's in like that is not a cookie; that is some sort of giant dessert. I'm sure there are some there are some phenomenal ones. In fact, actually, shout out to Emily. Emily eats and treats. Um, her Instagram, go find it. But she posted something like a friend or someone had sent her a box of after she did a photo shoot recently so obviously dieted down for that and i think her friend sent her some snacks in fact there might have been elky actually might have been elky's chews um she i think she made some cookies that look literally they were like thicker than my fist they were like they're not cookies like what the fuck they're like they're not flat they're like they're like massive bits of fillet steak almost with little flat edges mm. ridiculous yeah i think go find it i think they were they were impressive so that type of thing is low i think there's loads of companies out there that do those sort of things now so you can probably get over here Anyway, we're well over time, mate, so I think we need to say Feliz Navidad and Happy Noel or some other festive thing. Dayard. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.